makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Greetings and good day, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart and the whole world is a beautiful day. And it's good for all of us to be here. This day is significant and good. And there is peace. Let the people hear your voice respectfully and celebrate life. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. Our website is firstvoicesindigenousradio.org, and I want to thank you for your generosity. As always, for being here, you know who you are. And without you, we cannot continue. I'm your host, T. Ocas and Ghost Horse. All Native hosted, all Native produced, First Voices Radio now in its 28th year of broadcasting, and our First Voices Radio producer is Liz Hill. Our first, <clears throat> excuse me, our first guest, guest is Peter Buffett, a well-known uh, established musician, composer, producer, as well as co-chairman of the Novo Foundation. He, is, uh, he, he highlights um, Peter's music, his, his film, his music film and television work include the fire dances you saw in the Oscar-winning film Dances with Wolves, the entire score for 500 Nations, the, the eight-hour miniseries for CBS producer, um, yes, produced by Kevin Costner and winning, and winning an enemy for his enemy, winning an Emmy for his album. I have to laugh at that one. Yeah. Uh, Ojibwe, Ojibwe, um, yeah, Ojibwe, which is uh, as co-chair of the Novo Foundation, he helps guide the strategic plan and serves as a member of the Novo Grants 
committee. Sorry about the introduction, introduction Peter. I kind of have to laugh my own fumbling of a word. Well, you know, it's funny because people put so much emphasis on awards, and I was just thinking about that, actually, how uh, I go to China and they talk about the Emmy Award. I go here and there. So I really like that. <laughs> Turn that into something else. That's so, really good. Yeah. You, you know, Peter, I was I was going through some old uh, emails I didn't get to read or anything. And this one is from the magazine. Yes. Way back in January 1st, 2018. And uh, I was looking at uh, the first paragraph and it stood out to me. It's like, wait a minute. This guy needs to be interviewed. There's a different, they're different here. And I'm going to begin it this way. There is only one pathway to avert the crisis humanity is heading toward. And this is two years ago. And it is deeply, and it is to deeply feel the connection with the ecosystem we are part of. But instead, but understand there is no ecological argument. This is not about the climate or environmental systems. The latest exposure of the predatory behavior of some men in much cl- is much closer to the core. And you, you, I'm talking about the massive weight that has been holding our species frozen in a seemingly intractable structure of power and control. Would you run with that, Peter? Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, and thanks so much for having me on because uh, your voice and the voices of so many are so necessary and have been for uh, 500 years as this has unfolded. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is in me that, that, that deeply felt uh, really uh, beginning in the 80s. I read Son of the Morning Star that was about Custer and westward expansion and that led me to James Mooney's uh, The Ghost Dance Religion and, uh, you know, and, and his uh, really phenomenal uh, devotion to telling the stories uh, while the stories were able to be told. And, you know, this is 1890s, right? And that just uh, struck me to the core. And I think that's part of the important thing to remember is Everybody's got a core, and it's 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 overlaid, it's assimilated, it's uh, you know it's turned into uh, through our education systems and our economic systems and all these things that have just been recently introduced to our species. You know that's that's the hopeful part is this is all new stuff, and by new I mean a few hundred or sometimes a few thousand years, but still new, and. Uh, I've been running around with my hair on fire ever since for the last few decades uh, and to trying to reach that core and uh, to say, you know, we really did all come from a tribe at some point. At some point in our history, uh, we were uh, connected in small groups and right relation, and I want to believe that that is still alive in more people than not. And uh, and if if we can do whatever our part is and trying to wake that up and illuminate that and, and encourage it, uh, I'm all for it. So that's kind of what I've been trying to do in different ways. And uh, that paragraph right there uh, was just one more attempt. <laughs> I like those attempts. And you talk about the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, both parts play. And I often take that, Peter, too. Yes, there is the right wing and the left wing, but... The same, it's the same bird. Yep. And in the beginning was the word, you say, the word was using, used for naming. 
And that began with a particular history in a particular part of the world where Adam came forward and he used that possessing by naming something. And it seemed, if from hearing what, you're, 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 uh, what you were reading in the 70s, is that your, your process of understanding what the possessing meant uh, in the sense of survival. But now we're, we're, yes, we are into survival, but out of that, haven't you seen that there are other peoples that really are about dancing and singing and, and praying and being happy at this time of the earth where, where she is making a comeback, so to speak, while that possessing still continues on with certain people in that survival mode? Yeah, you know, and it's just so interesting because they both harken back to, you know, a friend of mine says my favorite phrase, we're a species out of context, you know, and, and, and the greed and the scarcity mentality and the power lives in the base of our brains of this fear. Will we make it through the next season? Will we make it through, you know, so it's, it's founded, I think, through thousands of years, and we're still, unfortunately, living, some people, in that frame, while others are also living in a frame that's thousands of years old, which is, again, right relation and connectedness and groundedness and celebration of the day and, and the time that happens to be, you know, this present moment and all that it offers. And it's so strange to have this uh, uh, growing remembering, really, of, of the abundant nature of things and the gift-giving and, the, um, and just the joy of being alive at the same time that there is this uh, heightened level of greed and scarcity and fear and all the things that living in that frame of existence creates. And, it, you know, I think of it almost like a battery. I, sometimes I wonder, well, it, does the energy come from both? Do you just have to have both? And I want to believe the answer is no. I want to believe that there is a, a direction that, that points as much backward as it does forward. Uh, but I, I wonder about that. I wonder about this coming from perspective. Indigenous is you talk about the Enlightenment and Industrial Revolution, and that seemed to have come out of a, a lacking or a scarcity, too. Yeah. Because you had to name it Enlightenment and Industrial Revolution, which is part of evolution. But the human consciousness might have been a different thing because that was attributed to the laws that were laid down by man, so it became a human consciousness. Uh, yes, and, and you know the interesting thing about the Enlightenment is I think its real founding was in to try and uh, overcome the power of the church. Right, it was trying to come up with the scientific ways to look at things that could then say, "See, the church isn't the know-it-all place that people think it is," and then it turned into its own church. <laughs> you know, and, and I think you know that that has a habit of happening where people are are originally trying to uh, come in again to right relation and and overtake oppressive power structures only to become the power structures and uh, you know certainly this country was founded on hey we're going to you know shake off the yoke of the the crown only to become the crown and uh, and and it's the people that are grounded and uh, grounded, period. I mean, that, that to me 
you know, I'm, I'm literally barefoot every chance I get. And, and that probably gives me more sense of what's true than anything else I could imagine. And, uh, and that's where the power, if, if that's the word, really lies, is in the, the grounded nature of things so that the true energy, again, we can start to get off on, you know, whatever plane we might go to, but, but you know, the, the true energy of, of where we all come from, I think, can only move when we are grounded in ourselves and in our place and in our truth. And uh, everything this culture creates uh, tries to pull us off of that and think that it's out there somewhere and, and you're not enough and you have to keep striving and the pursuit of happiness and all these things that that pull us off of our place. You know, when you talk about that basic human consciousness, I, I don't know if it's a shared in that sense that everybody is realizing that there is another consciousness, but the one that we're supposed to abide by within each country. And in that box thinking, we, we talk about romanticizing going to the moon. And I often say that we become so heavenly that we're no earthly good. We don't know how to deal with and live with the earth. So there really can't be any peace with earth, but we're looking for peace on earth while we continue the extraction methods. And, yeah. and so when once I get there, I was talking to a young African-American woman the other day around a fire, and she was concerned because she was looking at this term, quote-unquote, toxic positivity. Hmm. And that... Everything that Americans do is always about looking at the good side of something and that we need to be positive about the future. We need to be po- without ever dealing with what's here on earth. You know, the, uh, we, we're not earthly anymore. And that earthliness says that we must think about this consciousness now rather than a higher consciousness because that has nothing to do with dogma when we deal with what's going on now on the ground with the earth, then that he equals or, or flattens the, the playing field, so to speak. Do you know where I'm going with that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, and I'll just say, too, that, that, that our inability as a country to look at the, the fullness of how we got to where we are, you know, that I agree with the idea of toxic positivity for sure. I mean, I just I apply that to my own life and I think, boy, if I didn't self-reflect and see where I messed up and think about how I might change, uh, you know, you're never going to grow in a relationship. You're never going to grow, uh, well, basically in that, whether it's with yourself or others. So um, that's, that, that is a, a big issue. But, um, but I think you took it further and keep going. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd take it further by, by your quote is, there is nothing to make great again. That's for sure. And and a friend of mine mentioned, I guess one of Biden's uh, slogans is build it back better. I haven't seen that myself, but somebody else said they were using that. And somebody pointed out that make America great again and build it back better are both taking us out of the present. They're not saying, no, right now, we need to deal with all of the complexity that we have created and own it and uh, have compassion for it, you know, for the people that got us here and, and all of the pain and suffering and righteous behavior that they felt was true, whether it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago, or last week, and, and really come to terms with that and, and recognize that 
we have been built on a deeply flawed foundation, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean I'm flawed or you're flawed. It's saying that we're all uh, guilty in this sort of way of taking part in this. But but if you start blaming people, th- that's not going to get us anywhere. We I, we have to understand it, uh, but I think we have to again, just embrace the complexity of it, which nobody wants to do right now. They just want to point fingers. Yeah, it does. It does seem that way. And, and that comes um, out, you know, my assessment, if I could judge that that way, is is that the guilt doesn't get us anywhere, but it, it, it harbors hatred. Yeah. And that hatred harbors innocence and arrogance all down the line. And so when when I, I look at it, your your title of your article, the fierce urgency of how, um, when we have reconsidered the lives we have built, how will we live? One is that we can't live with hatred the way it's been, because that's dealing with guilt. So I'm going to go one step further here, Peter, is an uncle of mine said that every moment is innocent, and Native people didn't have the word concept for guilt, you see, Mm. but, but that we must, that Westerners tend to think that while all humans think guilt. They have feel bad about something, don't they? But it's not in the same context as the binary, the, the effect and cause that's happening. It's every moment is innocent because no no moment is repeated. Yeah, it almost feels like guilt is tied into original sin, like we're, we're born bad and, and, you know, those kinds of concepts. And, and the other piece of this, I think, that people are unwilling to feel is grief. And the fact that actually I think what we need to allow for is the grief of the loss of an ideal or an aspiration or a belief in something that was never really what we thought it was to begin with. And and to allow for that and say that doesn't mean we throw away everything and we're, you know, it's, it's, it's just that um, I, w- I was saying to somebody, uh, just because something's, how did I say this, you can't find, it doesn't, just because it's lost doesn't mean it's gone. It, just because you can't find it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And and I think that, uh, that somehow that plays into this. Like we can lose some things, but the underlying innocence really and, and what was longed for uh, is still there. And, and uh, you know, hopefully it's not toxic positivity, but I want to believe we can get there. <laughs> Right. It's like we we can't measure death, we can't measure life, but we can um, feel what death is. We can feel what life is by living now. And you talk about maybe the grief of that is the balance of, of praise and grief at the same breath. And so the balance that I'm talking about is that is there is no future, there is no past, it is now. Yeah. And to bring us into now, the the old, we, we say, which means it is now, it is what it is, and it it can't be too far in the future because that brings anxiety. We can't go too far in the past because that brings anxiety. So it has to be now. Yeah. And, and I think if we get past the stratifications of, of class, gender, roles that we have in this society, then, then the cultures will, will come back and be stronger because we need Earth to perform as human beings the way we're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, perfectly said. And, and that's where 
things like identity politics, which is so big right now, is such a danger to the ultimate place we need to go. I get it. It's necessary. People need to claim who they are. Uh, but, but we're living in a time also that we have to get beyond that, I believe, and, and understand what we share. And, uh, yeah, we'll, <laughs> the only way out is through, as my wife would say. Yeah, that's right. Will technology get us there, Peter? Um, well, you know, I look at language as technology. I look at, um, you know, the simple things like fire and those things as technology, and you recognize how they can be used in such a destructive way. It's the classic thing about technology, right? It can be used for good or bad. And um, right now, I think because of the perverse incentives that run through so much of this culture, and in this case, I would say economic incentives, which is probably the most perverse in terms of how it's being used. Uh, in the short run, I don't think technology will, or maybe it's both at the same time, uh, because there are certainly things that are happening even on Zoom <laughs> in terms of people coming together and seeing each other and understanding each other. So it's it's going to be both and. I think it, it's going to both uh, help us get to the next place and uh, encourage the dissolution of the current. And that's not necessarily a bad thing either. I mean, you know, that's why I don't think Trump, as, as now the people he's hurting in the here and now, that's that's real and that's not good. But Trump, as a force for dissolution and, and dynamic change, he's done a tremendous job of that. And uh, so, like everything else, it's complicated. <laughs> so whatever is happening now, it is hedge tool. It is what it is, and it has to be this way, um, according to some, because it's a plan. Others speculate, others put out conspiracy theory, but we, we are dealing with, in, in this sense, I could say, as Native people, we're dealing with the practical mystery. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're inside of. And, and that's where people in this time, and I think this is from the Enlightenment uh, onwards, are very uncomfortable with mystery. <laughs> and uh, people want to know. People want to be sure. And that's why, of course, there's so much anxiety with COVID and all the rest of it, is it has thrown so much uh, to the, into the world of mystery. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen at the election? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my school? I mean, it's just nobody knows. And that's actually a beautiful place to be in terms of the necessity of being present. Uh, but our culture is much more adept at anxiety-producing than a calming presence when it's needed, that's for sure. Now, just probably a general blanket statement in a few minutes we have left, Peter, is um, when I was thinking about the, 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 the uh, practical mystery, I was also thinking that as, as humans, we are, we are introduced to fear, Right. And and in, in the na among the nations, it's it's it fear is considered a sickness, just as covid or coronavirus, it's called mm -hmm. uh, a way we think it's a sickness. And we have lost respect for nature in its process. So we, we don't know what the sickness is. So we, we say it's fear. We must make coronavirus the enemy because we, we attack nature. Anything that attacks us is our enemy. Yet we don't understand the respect our honor for something that was actually bringing us other types of awarenesses, if you know where I'm going with that. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 the fear, there's someone said that fear is the ultimate act of hubris, that, that the idea that you know what's going to happen well enough to be fearful of, as opposed to recognizing, again, that this is the mystery, and, and uh, they're really, and, and, and you know, it, it's interesting, too, because nature is random. You know, I watch a tree fall, and I see what it's just wiped out. And, and so there's an aspect of being respectful and honoring of nature that comes from knowing that anything can happen at any time that is more powerful than you. And, uh, and yet that doesn't have to be fear-inducing. It can, it can create great respect for the thing that you're a part of and dependent on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think that, that, you know, divide and conquer and anything that produces fear and anxiety is a, is, is a power tool and, uh, how that, that's, how that gets lessened in a world as out of balance as this one is at this moment. I do not know that that is what we'll see in the coming generations. I think actually. As we are the seventh generation in place of the seventh generation, I think. And um, good talking with you. Good conversation. And we'll talk again soon, Peter. Um, Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. And thanks for having me on. It's great. Peter Buffett is Peter Buffett is a musician, songwriter, author, animator, and philanthropist. And uh, he is, uh, he's there. Um, he's here. <laughs> and uh, you can... Google him, you can go into books and whatever and, and music, and he's there. So thank you again, Peter. This is First Voices Radio, and my name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. We're going to return with a recorded broadcast uh, out of Chile and uh, out of Colombia. So thank you very much. And uh, again, First Voices Radio, thanks once again for joining us here. Show sure. 
the world michael kiwanuka from the album love and hate well the next segment here is a pre-recorded interview i did yesterday and i wanted to talk about the indigenous mapuche conflict escalating and uh, some 
uh, that they want the, the writing of a new constitution which could lay the groundwork for reconciliation and peace in a troubled-torn region of south southern Chile and extending into Argentina or Patagonia. And the indigenous people's struggle against a foreign ideology rather than so much their already prepared anti-colonial aspects being raced with the indigenous Mapuche group struggle as a struggle uh, for ancestral land rights and presence within the presence of militarized police that have increased the level of violence in the, re- in the region. And we'll be talking with Manuel Rosenthal, is a Colombian activist, researcher, and community organizer, and Pablo Michlin, uh, who is a Mapuche and a member of the, the Communication of History Mapuche, a collective of indigenous Mapuche researchers based in Temuco, Chile, is a doctoral student in Latin American Studies at the University of Texas in Austin. And we're going to proceed with that and come at you at the end of the program. Thanks. I want to acknowledge your, your peoples and your presence that you live with, Emmanuel and Pablo. First of all, as, as Lakota, we welcome you always to wherever you are, to this space and to this energy. Speaking from the eastern part of Turtle Island, which is North America, that you all belong here. You belong to the land rather than the land belongs to us. We know that. Um, because I know Manuel, I'm pretty sure that we talked about the tension going on in, in Chile, right? That's something we don't hear about. We think it's okay down under. First of all, I want to really find out what is happening in, in Chile that we are not hearing here in the, in the United States or even in the Western world. We hear again about the earthquakes, but there is something ongoing that may require a lot more of our attention, especially those of us, of us who are radio people and journalists, radio journalists. And in general, we, we want to know what's going on with the indigenous folks in Mapuche. Okay. Mari Mari, Pupengi, Pulamien, Compuche, Alcutalulu, Tofachi, Nyatam Kawundungu, Nicheta Pablo Miguelen Pingen. So, hi, all friends. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is a Mapuche greetings from Mapuche territory. Uh, yeah, thank you for this invitation, Yokasin, uh, Emmanuel too. Uh, right now we have uh, many situations uh, on the Mapuche land uh, at Walmapu in the Mapuche territory. For example, we have uh, many political prisoners in in different prisons in the south of Chile. Also, we have a lot of repression by police in the Mapuche land because we are, our people are recovering our lands, you know. Uh, And also we have many uh, uh, European settlers in our territory. We have a lot of private company like industry forestry like Pinus radiata or eucalyptus. So in this context, we are living right now, in this context, we are talking a little bit with the Chilean state. And in this context, we are struggling for the autonomy and self-determination. That's a great thing to hear. You talked a little about land recovery and the Chilean government who is taking the forest. And that is Wamapu or Mapuche territory. What is it exactly that the Mapuche are trying to protect 
that the government wants from you other other than the obvious the land but what what is it primarily that is keeping us from hearing about what you're talking about the news in in Chile yeah uh, our struggle uh, like indigenous people around the world is for the life right for the life not just as human person it's also al another uh, life who are living in our territory in on indigenous land so we are still struggling for that also we are struggling for recovering this land because right now the this land are on 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 settlers hand or in private companies and they have a support by government by chilean government by chilean state so yeah that's the the situation in in many cases uh, many indigenous community or mapuche community are recovering this land but the answer by chilean government is the for example prisons uh, police uh, yeah and also we are uh, struggling for uh, continuing in our own form of life like with our cere uh, ceremonial uh, space we are with our uh, own language because we are we are used our uh, mapuche language this is the name is mapudungun so all of that is part of the uh, current struggle in walmapu is there a situation that's similar here to native people when we have reservations i'm sure you've heard of that we have a reservation that were designated to us after the rest of the land was taken away. Is there a situation in Chile that, that you have reservations or you're held to a certain parts of Chile and even into Argentina? Exactly, exactly. That is a good point because the Mapuche people uh, right now were living between Argentina and Chile, south of Argentina and south of the Chile. But the... Uh, government government rhetorical rhetorical they say the Argentinian people they are not originally from there because they usually say no the Mapuche in the Argentina they coming from south of Chile they are settlers here in the south of Argentina but that is not true because in our history uh, we are always uh, living in those territory so for example in argentina and in the south of chile we have the same uh, the same language we are talking in mapuzungun historically we are traveling in between both sides uh, our ancestors they visited in argentina and the Argenti the mapuche who live in argentina they are visited they are visit in walmapu too in, in chile so uh, that is the the other important point to add in this rhetorical to to how can I say contrarrestar uh, Emmanuel to confront to the confront the official uh, version official version yeah to me that official version would be your people instead of the colonist official version because theirs is contrived to to dismiss your version, really. But uh, so we're talking with Pablo Michelin and uh, Emmanuel Rosenthal, who uh, 
keyed us in first voices into there is something going on in Chile that we need to know about. So Manuel, would you take us surmise a lot of things that led us to this interview? Well, first, it's wonderful to have the three of us here and fantastic to have Pablo. Peñi Pablo is part of a group, of a community of Mapuche history. And they, they study their history, they read the history, and they tell us about it. And we've known people from that community, which is how we, we came here. But one of the things, there are two differences, specificities of indigenous Mapuche indigenous struggles compared to other indigenous struggles elsewhere. Okay. One and then Pablo can correct and add on this because I may be wrong. One is, one is that when all of us, all our indigenous territories had been invaded in the rest of this continent, the Mapuche, the Walmapu, the Mapuche territory was not invaded. They resisted. They were the latest indigenous community to be invaded, territory to be invaded. So our memory has to go back a long time to remember how it was before, uh, how it still is, because in spite of, we don't always have to go to memory, we still remember today. But the Mapuche people never left that land, never left that history, never left that language. So they are crucial to us, to everyone here, because until a, a century and a half ago, uh, that south of the Bio Bio River, that territory was Mapuche. Exactly. Always. And so the colonizer, that's the second difference, the colonizer was the European inheritor, not Europe itself. Chile is a colonizing nation, a conqueror nation. Chile is an illegitimate uh, terrorist organization, a criminal regime, that invaded recently Mapuche territory. So that's very important. Very important to know. The other, the other point I'd like to, to make here is that the, under the, the Pinochet regime, the dictatorship by uh, Pinochet, the Mapuche people were completely suppressed. Their territory was delivered entirely and suddenly to transnational corporations, the wealthiest people in, in the country, under a terrible oppressive regime without any rights whatsoever. And uh, the, the Pinochet regime apparently ended. It hasn't. The Chilean constitution up to now is actually the constitution that Pinochet and the dictatorship under the Chicago Boys a prescription was established. So they're under a most oppressive regime, a people who still live in their own way and still, they don't remember it. They are their own memory. And, and so what's happening now is the same dictators, people who were ministers or members of the Pinochet regime are now in power in Chile again. And that same mentality is there again. So they're absolutely fascist. So just a quick mention to say the current situation is this. Uh, while because of the COVID-19 epidemic, thousands of common prisoners were let out of prison in Chile, common prisoners, 
without any particular rights, were released from prison, 13,000, the Mapuche political prisoners of another nation who have proven they have a right to that land and to their own autonomy, speak their own language, they have not been released from prison, ignoring the uh, ILO's 169 agreement of which the government of Chile is a signatory. So Chile is violating its own legislation and an international treaty to maintain uh, Mapuche prisoners under circumstances of COVID. So what should have happened is the thousands should have been left in jail. And it's okay for humanitarian reasons if they let them go, but they had to release immediately the Mapuche prisoners if they kept to, to international treaties. Not only did they not do that, and the prisoners went into an extraordinarily long, difficult, and painful hunger strike, more than 163 days, and then a dry struggle. But the Chilean government wanted to kill them without any type of response to the hunger strike. So have the Western democratic governments responded to a violation of an international treaty calling on the organization of the American states to trigger a reaction that they have done against Cuba or Venezuela or in any other circumstances, mm. they have not. Why? Because these racist uh, bunch of governments throughout the continent do not care about the Mapuche people, mm. but about the business in the Walmapu. So I wanted to provide that context, if it's okay. That's very good. Yeah. With, with Pab Pablo, is there anything that you, um, you've been here in the United States, but yet your contacts are probably as, as good or much better than mine when it comes to the, to the common Mapuche and, and the, the movement that is happening there and the tension that uh, this government is causing against the indigenous folks there. Are you really able to ask for help besides the media? Are you, is there any other nations coming there to really understand the situation as, as Emmanuel described? Yeah, uh, I, we are with uh, an, another uh, people who are support uh, Mapuche struggle. We are uh, uh, prepared a leader campaign to support uh, Uh, Mapuche political prisoners, and also we are talking uh, about in our our space like academia, because um, right now I'm I'm here studying uh, to talk with my with my friends and in photo or or conversation with another uh, indigenous people from here and from other other parts too, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because um, uh, as an indigenous person, and this can go to the place that we as indigenous folks understand is this sort of feeling, this in, in um, this intuitive value we have as indigenous people to support each other throughout exactly. the Western Hemisphere, but also that we we know something is going on. I think the fear that they have for indigenous peoples is that. We retain a consciousness, as you know, Pablo, and I know we retain a consciousness of the earth and that this connection is what they want. They want to sever that 
And so they're doing it with all this colonial laws and military and fear. And in the United States, it seems to work very well. Fear is a sickness. It's a being. It's a fear. It's a sickness. And, and what I feel is that the Mapuche are not in fear of that sickness because, you know, the colonization is colonial is sickness. Right. So your, your truth seems to be coming from the land because I, I see you, I feel you and I'm hearing what's coming out of Chile. Uh, it's very pure. And, and the resistance is more of a resilience that we are going to outlast these regimes that are temporary and and uh, feed on fear. So it's really important to note that I, I feel that the, the Mapuche are not as fearful of that which thinks that they can conquer us as native people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is a, another good point. For example, in our... In our routine, the one important uh, role is our, our elders. Mm. For example, as Manuel says, we have another history. Chilean state, they have their own history like uh, settlers do. I, I think it's the same history. But our elders, they always talk uh, uh, to, to us how they stolen our 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 land right so right now chilean state and uh, settlers they are on stolen land because like as manuel says we have a limit the bio bio river so uh, at the same case in argentina so we have our own institution mapuche institution so we have our own authority. So we are always talking with him, with her, with our elders, because they support us in our struggle. Mm -hmm. So I and think this is important to us too. It's very, very important. And one thing that I know that we aren't a military. We don't, we don't attack as native people, but we're defending not just the people. And as you started earlier, but it's not just the humans, it's the land and that life that's giving sustenance to even those peoples who try to come and oppress you. And they do it through those laws. We can quote laws, we can quote numbers and how many people died. That's for people who I think romanticize the struggle. Exactly. But ours is exactly the, the difference is that we know this is our responsibility because Earth is calling us to do this rather than protecting a flag or protecting whatever. It is the, the right of Earth to live, and we only seem to want the peace with the Earth so that we can live peaceably amongst all the other beings that are here. So I want to understand a little bit more about what is that current situation in Chile. Yeah, uh, right now we have uh, maybe... 35 political prisoners and also we have um, many um, police in our territory especially in community in Mapuche community who are, who are struggling for land against settlers against a private company like hydroelectric or a, a forestry industry so yeah that is the point Another point in the recently, last week, for example, uh, the police 
uh, in in Mapuche community, they are uh, they are violated uh, or violaron. How can I say violaron? Raped, raped, raped to again Mapuche children. So yeah, include Mapuche children and elders too. They don't have respect with with our people in our own land. So this is a, a complicated situation. So the most important, uh, I think right now, is to visibilize this situation in other place. Uh, to invite another people who listen this message to check what's happening right now in the Mapuche territory. Mm. Not just in Chile, it's also in Argentina. Because in Argentina, the many um, Mapuche sisters and Mapuche brothers, they are struggling too. So we have this contact right now. Yeah, it's that, that border between Argentina and Chile doesn't exist among our indigenous folks. That's somebody else's. So the, the connotations that we are um, intending here is that people need to pay attention more to the indigenous folks. Folks, because if people are really concerned about the earth where they're, wherever they are, that this this uh, the context of the COVID virus really is it's a it's a scary situation. But yet there there is more dire consequences if we don't take care of the land. We say that the reason why COVID came is because we we lost respect for the land. Exactly. <laughs> and and um, so I think that's part of it. Um. In closing, is there anything that either of you have to say what we were talking about, or is there something that I missed? There's something very important that, that needs to... I heard it from Peñi Pablo Mariman, who's part of this, of this same com history community and who's in the Walmapu now. Yeah. And I, it, it was explained clearly. There, there will be a constitutional assembly referendum soon in Chile. And it's a consequence of the the anniversary almost of the Chilean people's uprising in October of 2019 that was cut off by the COVID emergency and the fascist regime. This is coming up. But here's what, what Peñi Pablo said clearly and needs to be said, and it's the same thing you're saying, uh, Tiokasin. It's the Chilean state, the Chilean state as a project has failed. It has failed its people, it's failed its territory, it's destroying, it, it failed. Anything it does to solve its problems, it's for the wealthy and it will destroy land and it will destroy the future for the wealthy themselves. So the only future that territory can have is becoming Walmapu. And everybody is welcome to become Mapuche. Che is people, Mapu is the land. land. Are we not all Mapuches? Mm. So it's our chance to become Mapuche. Yes. And it's the, the end of Chile. So the message from the Mapuche is not for a territory called Chile or Argentina. It's our message everywhere in the world. Nation states have failed. And they have failed because they're killing Mother Earth and its children. So now the only way out of this, the only way out is the freedom of Mother Earth with its children, for all of us to become Mapuche or however we want to call it. And that's the anniversary of that is coming in October. Why? Because the Chilean people's uprising, the poor people's uprising against that state, 
held the Mapuche flag throughout the uprising, not the Chilean flag. And that has to be remembered. People in Chile are realizing and recognizing the Mapuche struggle is their struggle. That's what I felt important. Pablo? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for adding uh, that important point, Emmanuel. So, so I would like to say thank you. In Mapuche language, uh, thank you is Shaltumai. Shaltumai, yeah. Shaltumai, Pupeni, Pulamien, Compuche, Alcutaloto, Fachedmuka, Peumagen, Neymon, Comeantu. So, I hope all of people who listen to this main message, uh, they have a Great. It's, it's just an honor to have both of you here. Pablo. Mijalen. Mijalen. I like that. Yes, I like that Mijalen. And then, of course, Manuel Rosenthal, always a good, good brother to, to get a hold of. Thank you for breathing the same air, thinking the same thoughts, having the same heart. And be well, be good, and be strong down there because we all need that. We need both of you. Now, we do. It's an honor to have both of you here on First Voices. Thank you. As, Thank you. As, as Liz would say, miigwech. Or so here in, in the NASA territory, pai pai. Pai pai, yes, pai pai. Thank you. Thank you. free.